Good morning. Ooh, we're on. Good. Good morning. Um, we're going to continue going through the book of Luke. We started uh, in verse 1 last week and we'll continue on um, starting in Luke uh, chapter 1 verse 26. We'll be picking up in our story here. Um, let's take a minute and let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for who you are and how amazing you are, God, and that you were willing to lay aside heaven, Father, and come down and serve us, Father, and love us in such a, an amazing way, God, and that you've come to just give us this awesome, amazing life, Father, here and now and forever in eternity. We just thank you for your word. We just pray you'd speak to our hearts, God. And um, that we would just leave here changed by you this morning and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be starting in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And um, last week we were kind of looking at the Gospels. And we kind of talked about how there's the four different Gospels are very different. Um, one being that... We have Matthew, who's a first-hand account recorded. Mark is not all necessarily first-hand either. Accounts of the gospel. And then we have the book of John that was written later. But Luke, the book we're in, is very much almost like an interview. He went, he, he interviewed witnesses. And so we have, again, like a lot more detail uh, written in a very different Greek. A lot of different uh, words used that no other gospel or text has and phrases being a doctor. And so last week we saw him and him begin to write it and writing the witness or the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth. This older couple that, that at that point felt they were done, that, that God wasn't going to be able to give them a child anymore. And the angel Gabriel shows up and announces that they, his wife is going to be with child and he kind of doesn't believe him. And so the angel zips his lip. And um, so we see this story of this couple that thought they were beyond what God's calling was on their life. And, and it was just the opposite. And so we began that in that account of how God decided to work why Zacharias was serving, or Zachariah was serving in the temple and he came before him. And now we're going to kind of see the witness of Mary but even more than that, there's so much going on here. We have the witness of Mary, and we also have the, how would you say, um, their witness, but also the birth of the Savior, Christ coming to earth, him laying aside heaven and coming down to serve us, and, and also this great calling on a woman, Mary, and that. That sounds better. No, I don't like, I mean, I felt like I had a God complex, like this echo, you know, like, no, I don't know. It was interesting. It was kind of distracting. Cool, thank you. I need to do a better sound check before service, I guess. And so, um, yeah, I don't have a God complex, so that works. And so we pick up, let's pick it up right here in verse uh, 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee, Galilee named Nazareth. Now, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth for pregnant with John the Baptist. In her sixth month, Gabriel, the, the, the birth announcement angel, has come out 
and is coming to the city of Nazareth, of Galilee. And what is notable about the city of Nazareth? Before this scripture, before this time, nothing. There's nothing notable. It could have disappeared. People wouldn't have known. If there was not a Jesus of Nazareth, we probably would have not even known it was there. Um, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not any, mentioned in any scripture or even extra, like, other writings about times and places. It's not even mentioned. If there's anything where it appears is in some of the Roman logs of how many troops were stationed there or staying there on their travels, and that was about it. I mean, there's nothing. But it's amazing what comes out of this. You realize how many times Jesus is almost referred to Jesus as Nazareth more than anything else. You know, and the, the prophet said, who can even good come even out of this place? It's, it's max maybe about 15,000 people. Roman soldiers, as I had mentioned, would stay there, often, you know, lodge there. So there was a lot of brothers. There, there was nothing good. If, you know, besides not being noted, it wasn't even good. You know, it's a, a place where you wouldn't even want to stop if you could avoid it in your travels, you know. And so you just go through. And so it's amazing to see out of this nothing, there's no reputation, nothing good, that here God just chooses to go there. Not to Jerusalem. Not to all the places. He goes to very humbly, very meek, not this big announcement. We're going where? We're going to be Jesus of Nazareth. And what an awesome thing that is, and to see his heart in that. And in verse 27 says, he came to, right, the Galilee, named Nazareth, right, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, not as common right now, but there was a debate. There's been through the 20th century here a debate on if she was really a virgin. And they would go to the Old Testament Hebrew, and they go to Isaiah 7:14. It says, "Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel." Now, they would go, "Well, that term also is used of young woman." I don't know what kind of sign that would be. I mean, that's like, well, you know, there will be a stop sign on a corner. There's a lot of stop signs on corners. That's, you know, why would that be significant? Even write it down if it wasn't referring to a virgin. And even more importantly, in the Greek text, it's a virgin. No question. You know, and so it's really clear. And, and betrothal is different than we think of engagement these days. This was legally binding contract. Um, it had to be a divorce to break it. Um, and, and so... It's way different than we think of, you know, our engagement. There is some still, hopefully, still some, you know, concern. If you get engaged, you don't really necessarily back out. There's a commitment there. But here, there, this was like being married. What would happen is, and we're going to be taking communion later, is the man would come, young man would come to the, her father's house, the, the bride's father, or the bride, you know, the bridesmaid's house. Or, yeah, now I lost myself. The groom would come to the bride's house with a dowry, with a gift, with a price. And they would sit down with the father. They had agreed to that price. That price would be paid for. She would then also drink of wine, a glass of wine that he would generally bring. They all three would drink of this wine, agreeing to this contract or the agreement of the betrothal, and the, you know, that I'm fine with marrying this guy, Dad. That's kind of the only say she would have in it. And, and at that point, 
Everything was paid for in that sense. Then he would go back to his father's house and he would wait for his dad to say, okay, it's time. He'd start building an addition on his parents' house. Yes, young ladies, that would mean you were moving in with your mother-in-law. No choice. And so he started to build on to this house. And so in that time of betrothal, the groom is off building onto his father's house and then he's going to come back. And he would come back when the day. The dad would say, okay, three days from now, you're ready to go get her, or tomorrow. But the Jewish day started at a different time than us. We don't start at midnight. It was when the sun went down and there were three stars visible. And we, we hear this. There's the, the parable of the lamps, the, the oil in the lamps, and the virgin's waiting, right? And so if you're a young man and your dad says tomorrow, and tomorrow begins at sundown, you're going in the dark, right? Like a thief in the night. And that's when he'd come. So they'd be ready to go, you know? And it's interesting to think this is Mary. This is where she's at. She's betrothed. She's waiting for this day. She knows this is coming. There's her hopes and dreams is Joseph is going to come get me. He, he's working on his bright house. And he's in, she's in this time. And in verse 28, it says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, it doesn't say where she's at. It doesn't say where she's sitting or if she was praying and some of the traditions get into stuff, but we don't know where she was sitting. She could have been in her home. She could have been out in a field, but we don't know. But we do know it wasn't in a temple because she wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. Remember we had Zechariah. He was in the temple, right? So, and he kind of doubted what the angel was saying and what happened to him. Oh, yeah, he got shut up. But you might be, if you're Mary, if some guy shows up to you shiny or not in the field, be questioning, like, where's your credentials? Are you a real angel? Right? Not in the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies, you should be good with whatever angel shows up there knowing God. But so she's there. We don't know where exactly she's at. And this, this, this um, introduction, this announcement, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you, and you are blessed among women. Now, highly favored, this is only used twice in the Bible. Once here of Mary, she's highly favored or um, uh, accepted. Very accepted one, highly accepted one. The other time it shows up is, um, if you would turn with me, it's Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and we'll look at 3 through 6. Ephesians chapter 1. And verses 3 through 6. The only other time it shows up is right here. See if you can catch it. It says, Blessed be to God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he has chosen in us, in him, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestined us to adoption as the sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will that the praise of glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That word accepted or highly favored is referring to us. Mary here is highly favored and we are highly favored as believers, as in Christ. Which is important as you continue through the scripture and we take a look at this to realize that we are highly favored just as much as Mary is highly favored. And I know 
it's really sad because the church, the Catholic Church, and even the, the body of Christ has really done, I don't even know the word, not had a misunderstanding about Mary, but even a disservice or, or just straight out corruption of what they've believed. They've, they've said that she's had to, have, well, she was immaculately conceived. But we'll see later on here, she refers to God as her savior. She wasn't sinless. She needed a savior. She wasn't a sinless mother that you need to pray to to talk to Jesus because you can't talk to Jesus directly. No. She was a child or a young girl between 14 and 20 about ready to get married. Right? We do see she has some biblical knowledge. She's a godly woman. But she was not above everybody else. The next scripture is blessed among women, not above women. Right? But definitely blessed. Right? We're going to see, I mean, to, to be blessed, to know Jesus in such an intimate way. But in verse 29, it continues to say, When she saw him, she was troubled, saying, at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, she was blown away. That angel blown away. You know, talk about a greeting, right? That, you know, stopped me in my tracks, right? She's sitting there, okay, what's going on? I'm blessed, you know, okay. And so she's troubled and she thinks about it. She's pondering these things. What, what's going on here? Right? We saw Zechariah, when the angel showed up, it said he was troubled and he feared. <laughs> A little different response. Right? Of course, being in the Holy of Holies, angel shows up and you might be, you know, worried that if you're going to make it out of there, if there's sin in your life, it might be a little more scary. But she's pondering, what, what kind of greeting is this? This is, this is not normal, you know? And uh, verse 30 continues, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have been found favor with God. What an awesome thing to find favor with God. I don't know about you in here. That sounds awesome. I'd like, you know, find favor with God. And the amazing thing is, God loves to favor people. We look at repeatedly in the Bible, how many times does God love to favor and bless people? It's repeated. It's again and again and again. And even some people, you go, what? Why? After they did what? And God still was faithful and God still did this and this. I mean, David, a man after your own heart? What are you? He committed adultery and he did this and you still had a favor upon him? Right? And, and it's amazing. I was thinking, man, why, why wouldn't I be favored of God? What, what keeps me from having God's favor? And I, I've shared this and, and um, it's an illustration I don't know if I came across it or heard it, but I've repeated it enough, now it's mine. No. Um, imagine there's like, you have a child, you have your two-year-old child, right? And your two-year-old child's there, and they run out, and they're standing in the middle of the street. What's your concern? Their safety. Are you going to bless them? Are you going to run out there and go, here, son, here's a lollipop. Enjoy the middle of the street. No. You have one concern that they get out of that danger. You're not going to go out to them and ask, hey, you know, what did you do with mom today? Did you guys watch Elmo or whatever? No, you're not going to have a conversation. Your concern is, hey, you've got to get out of the street. It's dangerous. Now, only unless you believe in child abuse or something, you're not going to bless that child in the street. It would be wrong. Giving them a blessing. But many times I find myself standing in the middle of the street going, God, why aren't you blessing me? And he goes, get out of the street. You know? i like, but Lord, <laughs> no, I'm not blessing you because you're dead. You're not obeying my word. I don't want to bless you. That would be cruelty, you know. 
Why am I out of God's favor? Because I put myself in a situation where he can't even bless me. He can't have favor on me. It would be wrong. And, I, you know, you sit there and go, well, but God, I've done this and I've done that, but you don't, you know, I don't know why God doesn't bless me like that person. You ask him, God, I want to be in a position to bless me, change me, you know. And what an awesome thing to be considered and how God saw favor in her and was able to pour this blessing out upon her. And um, verse 31 as we continue here. So it says, And behold, you will, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will, there will be no end. Now, if your mind wasn't blown, the second part, you know, she's sitting there pondering these things, and then you put this on her? Wow! I mean, wait a minute. I'm going to conceive. I'm going to have a child. We're going to call him Jesus, which that's what the Savior's supposed to be, but then he's going to be on the throne of David, he's being called, his dad's being called David, which means there's this kingdom and this priesthood and this history, and he's going to reign forever? Would you sit there a minute and be just like, uh, I mean, I don't know how you'd respond. You're a young lady, you're sitting there and, and to hear these things, and you can't imagine after the angel left, how many times did she pour over those words? Going, what was he say? He said this, and he said this, and he said this, and Wow, I mean, what does that mean? You know, and, and his name's going to be Jesus. Jehovah saves. Salvation. Which, again, in that day, it was a common name. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't hear Jesus too often. If I, you know, somebody came up to you and said, hey, you need to name your son Jesus, and you're Spanish, you're like, okay. You see, you know, just culturally, we don't call people Jesus. At this time, there was a lot of Jesuses running around. But obviously, when you start to talk about he's going to be called the Son of the Most High, Right? There's, there's all this coming. He's going to be our Savior. And what an amazing thing. Here's the Savior entering the world. You're going to be part of that. What a great and amazing calling. God is calling you to bear the Savior. The Savior is going to be in your womb. And, and when you sit there and you look at that and you just go, okay, his name's going to be Jesus, he's going to be the Most High. And we need a Savior so desperately. We, uh, last night when we were leaving here, there was um, a man that was intoxicated and needed a ride home to Stockton. Me being um, very wise, we put him in the front of the car and gave him a ride home. But as he's there and he's intoxicated, his pride's gone. You know, he, the, the, the alcohol has, has pulled down the veil of who he is and, you know, the tattoos and the gang tattoos. None of that matters at that point. All there is is a man that's bare and raw. And as we're driving home and I'm talking to him and just praying, God, somehow maybe some of this will set in or, or not, just in listening to him. And, and, and he sits there and goes, man, I'm so ashamed. So ashamed. You know, I'm, I'm scared. I, I'm, I'm wicked. I'm, and I'm just hurting. And, li- you know, life's just painful. You know, all these things I have this. And I take care of my mom. And it just hurts. And... And you just hear the real heart. Suddenly all that pride, all this stuff's gone, you know. The second I dropped them off, some, you know, uh, guy came out covered in tattoos too, head to toe, you know. Thanks, bro, yeah, yeah, you know. And, uh, but you just see, man, he's hurting. 
you know? I guarantee if he was sober, I probably wouldn't have heard a darn thing, you know? He would have said how awesome or whatever he is. Or the word he used about my driving, I had skills. <laughs> driving normal, guys. But, you know, when you're not sober, driving like that, skills. No, but, but you just see the rawness, right? We need a Savior. Even him sitting there lost. Man, I'm ashamed. Yeah. That's right. There's sin. It's shameful. But there's a Savior, you know? And, and it's just interesting when you think of how, what a great thing to walk into the world in all eternity, all the time. Here we have the Savior coming, our Savior coming. What a great and amazing calling she's called to. And thinking of the past, thinking of the kingdoms, thinking of these great kingdoms, these great men used of God, these great things God has done. And now the Savior's coming and his kingdom's going forever. I can imagine all the things going through her mind. You know, this, this portion of Scripture, it's really interesting. You guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found these scrolls back in Israel, and there was a, a community, the Seans, that were recording stuff, and the Old Testament writing things down. They basically, about 150 years from Christ, pulled away from Judaism and the sect and went out to be separate. And they were trying to protect biblical and documents from being altered. And their thought was, man, the Jewish leaders are gone, Rome's gone, it's not safe there, we're going to protect it. But you know what's amazing? And it leaves all kinds of speculation, but I love how God does this. There's a scroll called the God scroll, the Son of God scroll. And on that scroll, this is almost word for word. And it's not from Luke. This account sits there. So, so were these Essenes out there in the desert, in the wilderness, and they heard of John the Baptist and go, okay, we've pulled away, but there's something about this guy, or there's something about Jesus. Somehow they got an account of this. And, and they were taken out in 70 A.D., which the earliest the book of Luke could have been written is right around the same time. But from all accounts, the God scroll isn't Luke. There's, there's, there's grammatical um, differences. The, the, the Greek structure, the word sentences structure, it wasn't written by Luke, but it's almost word for word. Isn't that kind of cool? So they don't know if, okay, how did they hear about this? Was this prophetic from the Old Testament, but it's not in the Bible, it's not something God gave us? Or was this, how did they hear about this, you know? What an amazing thing, and God chose, out of all those things, you think of all the years and all the worms, you think, you know, God's in control. He preserved exactly what he wanted in that spot in the desert, right? Up there in the hills, all the debate that ended when some little shepherd threw a rock into a cave and found some pots, and we got like 90% of the book of Nehemiah and all this prophecy about Christ. What an amazing thing. But this section of scripture, kind of a little side note, but I think is awesome, is reserved, got God's preserved in even another way, this part of the story, which I think it gives credit. If Luke didn't write it, and Luke's writing an account, the account wasn't changing. Like, oh yeah, this was a little different. Oh yeah, I forgot. No, it's pretty, you know, right dead on. You know, what was known, what happened, this account. And so, verse 34, it says, And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? So she's diff asking differently than Zachariah. Zachariah's like, how's this going to happen? She's like, she's asking this in the, in the, in the pluperfect sense. Like, when this happens, how's it going to happen? She understands biology. She's confused about how this is going to happen. I think any woman would have that question in here. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> how's this going to happen? Um, this, it's kind of scary. And what's, what's going to go on here? And so she wanted understanding. And the angel in, in 35 answers and says... 
The angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, this word overshadow you, this has been used before. You know when you, the children of Israel left Egypt and there was that cloud that overshadowed them, the presence of God. Moses went up into the cloud and came down and, and God's glory overshadowed the tabernacle and the Shekinah was glory. This is that same exact word of God's presence being there overshadowing and that glory. And very much as his presence was there at that tabernacle, we see him being here at this tabernacle. Jesus isn't being created here. And, and when you look at this last verse, it says, the Holy One who is to be born. Well, he is. This, this is in the, this pluperfect, that, that, that verse means he was and he is and is going to be, and now he's going to be born. There isn't a beginning. He is. But all he is doing is not losing something, but now adding on to who he is, the flesh of a human being, the tabernacle, the tent of who Jesus Christ is. And, and, and he's the Holy One. He, he's, he, he's born of a virgin. If he wasn't born of a virgin, when he goes and dies on the cross, then he's just paying for his sin. It, it, it becomes pointless. You know, they, back here, you kind of read some of these guys, and they make that sound like, well, you know, it's not that important. Oh, yeah, it is important. If he's dying on the cross and he was just a man, he's paying for his own sin. Jesus Christ is either the Son of God or we're all in trouble. You know, there's, there's no moving on, those, on that point, you know. And so we see this. We see the Holy One, you know, and he was able, because he had no debt to pay, to take our debt, our sin upon him. And in verse 36, and it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Now, Zechariah goes, wait, 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 how is this possible? She goes, well, how is this going to happen? He goes, well, I'll give you a sign, you're going to shut you up. She gets a sign, right? Hey, remember your relative, Elizabeth, who was barren? Yeah, the old one, there's going to be a sign. She's going to be with child. She, she's already six months along. You know, what an amazing thing. Okay, so now I'm, I'm, you know, you're there. And this next verse, man, you talk about a standalone verse. I just love it when God just throws these little details in. Boom, 37. For God, for with God, nothing is impossible. Okay, so why did we debate about her being a virgin? Did you forget this verse? Let me just solve this. With God... Nothing is impossible. Okay, so we don't have to have this debate because God created everything. Nothing is impossible. That should solve it, right? That should solve it. When you get there and go, well, can God do this? Or can God do that? Or, or will God do this? Or wait, 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 but God, um, what about this in the future? Can you actually? You know, it should solve all those things. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Can God do those things? Did God do those things? Will God do those things? Yes. Nothing is impossible for God. And you sit down and you go, do you guys believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Until he tells me to do something. <laughs> but Lord, it's not possible. It could be possible, but it might hurt. So I can rethink this. No. I mean, 
Right? How many times do you get there where you just think, God, God this is just an impossible situation? How am I going to, you know, it's just an impossible situation. You know, and, and there's been times where you sit down and you just, you're, you're just at the end and you go, man, God, I don't know how you're going to work this out. You know, I, I just don't know how you're going to work it out. We, we've had, you know, in marriage sometimes there's, there's things, but there are definitely rough times. And, and you look back and you go, man, I was such a wimp. It wasn't that bad, was it? Yeah, it felt that bad. I mean, we, we um, there, there, I, there was a time I didn't think I was going to make it home from, from Apple Valley to Lucerne Valley with our kids. Me and Heidi, we, I don't know if it was in and out I think we stopped eating in and out for, we got food poisoning bad. And we have, uh, I think it was one of the kids with us, Abigail or Alex who was with us, and the one was with her mom and couldn't drink soy or whatever, wrong formula, so they're throwing up. We are both at the hospital throwing up, just can't hold anything in, switching off with the baby going to the bathroom. And so I think we had Abigail with us. And we're, we're in the emergency room and we're just dying. And it's like, this, this just this, this is not right. I mean, we're trying to figure out how to juggle a child between us, and we're just constant, constant. It was just violent. And then we finally get in, and, you know, they put us on IVs and everything, get through that point. And then we go, and, uh, man, probably 3 in the morning, we had a 30-some-minute drive home in the desert. We go and get Alex just tired, dead, and I'm like, I'm trying to drive, stay awake, and he's throwing up because of the formula in the car seat. And I'm just going, God, this is impossible. This parenting thing, I'm, we are done. I've made it to this point, but how are we going to keep these two kids alive? Even though, i I got to make it home through a two-lane road in the desert, you know. And, and every car passing, I'm just trying to refocus. You know, those desert roads, it's fine somewhat when it's dark in the car passing. You're trying to refocus on the road. Just praying to get home. We had a pullover a couple times. I remember going, God, this is not possible. This, this is not real. This is like a bad dream I'm going to wake up from or something. This is just horrible, you know? But with all things, God is, po- those things are possible. And we, we get to that point where we question it. I, you know, it's like this, this scripture, man, I need to read it every morning. You know, there's certain things that just come up that just, wow, just blow your mind going, how? You know, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, stopped and just cried out, wow, how could have this gone wrong? We're redoing the uh, Colonial Rose uh, Cemetery home and tearing off the whole roof and everything else. Got the whole thing done. The stained glass work from the 1600s in it. We're finishing it up, and a knot falls out of one of the boards. Pink! And breaks the glass. The whole building's named after it. This is a guy's pride and joy. Oh, God! How? Why? This is just not possible. Lord, this can be happening. No. It ended up, God took care of it. It was nothing like I would have stressed about. A guy came in and fixed it for nothing, knew what he was doing, and yeah. But for three weeks, I was stressed. Like, there goes a company. I just, you know, bought a stained glass piece of glass that's going to cost me my whole livelihood, you know. For one lot, not, just one knot hole, God. You put the tree there, you grew the tree, the branch, out. God, why can't you do this to me? You just trust me, yeah, right. But, um, you know. Because I'm always faithful. I never have a problem with this. Like, you know, like I said, I'm, you know. Verse 38, it says, Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. And the angel departed from her. Behold the maidservant, the, the lowliest servant in a house of the Lord. Man, could you imagine Gabe gets back to heaven, you know, and it's like, hey, how's it going? Well, yeah, I went down, I 
saw this priest, the old priest, you know, and I told him this was going to happen. I gave him the message, and he's like, yeah, right. So I took care of him. I shut him up. He's going to be quiet for a while. Oh. Next time he comes back, yeah, what, what happened this time? Well, I came back, there was this young girl. Yeah, where? Now? Now there's, yeah, shared that this is coming, that's going to be on. Yeah, how did she respond? She's like, let it be to me as the Lord said. What? I mean, you got a priest and you got a young child. You know, at the priest, man, that's possible. God can do that. You got this young girl, talk about freaky. Okay, she's going to get pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Wow, scary. You know what I mean? And what did she respond? She said she's a servant of God. Man, can you imagine? Do you think she even had a clue what she was agreeing to, though? I mean, what was going through her mind after this? Okay, I'm betrothed. Now, I tell Joseph, if Joseph finds out I'm with child, he has a right to throw the first stone. The law, the priest is going to have me killed. Even if Joseph doesn't want, the priest has a right to have me killed. My family's going to disown me. Or, or maybe God's going to do something and they all know. And it'll be okay. I just got to trust God. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Talk about scary, you know. And, and people would even say later, for years and years, this would be a stain on her. They, they, they'd say, hey, a Roman soldier got her pregnant. The Jewish, the, the Jewish, the Sanhedrin even claimed Jesus, hey, at least we weren't born out of fornication like you. That's what they would say about him. No, you were, you were born out of fornication. You know, this, this would go on for years, the stuff she would go through. They go back to their hometown to register for a census in a culture where hospitality and murder, not being hospitable and murder are on the same playing field. I know some cultures, man, you go back to your hometown, you stay in a hotel, that's disrespecting your family. You stay with your family. What are you thinking? It doesn't matter if there's any room in the house. You stay there. That's part of what you do, you know. They go back to their hometown. They can't even find a hotel to sleep in. Well, we don't want to have anything to do with you guys. You, you know, you're staying on the family. How do you think Joseph's family responded? You know, you talk about, wow, what was she getting into? Her friends, her family, and that cost to be willing to follow God, to, to have this great calling on her life. And, but, 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 she's going to have the Messiah living in her. Right? Wow, how close to be to God. I mean, what a witness too. I mean, my mom loves me. You can she admit she loved me here. But she will not say I'm perfect. I know some moms might cover a little, but if you actually put her before court, I'm going to jail for something. You know, I just, it's not going to happen. You talk about a witness. If anybody could call Jesus out on not being perfect or sinless, who do you think it'd be? Well, you know, there was those terrible tools once, and poor James. No. I mean, Mary would be the one, first one to be able to say, hey, there's no way you're the Messiah. You're not my Messiah, at least I saw you growing up. You know, you can't die for my, I mean, right? What a witness that that's going to be. How And to know him so closely, to know your Savior so closely to be his mom. And at the same time, though, as Christian, God lives in us. God lives in us as Christians. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is I know that no longer live who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in us. In a way, you know, you always wonder if like when you got to heaven, if you're sitting there and you're like, hey, Moses, what was it like to go into the Holy of Holies? It's all kind of like this and this. 
I want to know what was it like to have Christ dwell in you, to have the Holy Spirit change your life. Man, that would have been so awesome for me to be there. I wish I could have been on that side of the cross. You're like, you know what I mean? You think, wow, these great people. You know what they're thinking? Wow, you got to walk with them. i got to see the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies dwelt in you. He called you his tabernacle. Wow, what an amazing thing. You know? But we can forget that too. We can forget, oh, what does it mean that Christ lives in us? We can put our identity in something else. What was apparent to me? You guys ever have a thought that embarrasses yourself that you just go, man, I'm an idiot. Okay, we're setting up at the park to do prayer. Big deal. I've talked to people all the time asking them to pray. But suddenly I'm the pastor asking them for prayer. So why? Because why? now I'm about this. This isn't me. I'm not there as a roofer. I'm not there passing out flyers. I've passed out flyers before. And I'm thinking, what? how lame is it that I feel like like embarrassed, like I'm the pastor. If somebody asks, I'm going to tell, I might have to say, hey, I'm the pastor over here now and, you know, invite him. What the heck? I mean, honestly, what a lame thought. I'm thinking, gosh, Tim, what? You're full. I just, I was picking on myself. I couldn't believe, why don't I feel this way? Why this stupid embarrassment kind of feeling of this? Why would I be ashamed now? I mean, when you could say, hey, I'm a roofer that goes to church, that was better, because you can throw a roofer out there, and I still like to. I mean, you know, people look down on roofers, but me, when I tell you I'm a roofer, I lower all expectations, right? It leaves it all on God. It's like, hey, here, I'm going to read this scripture to you. Don't worry. I'm dyslexic and a roofer, so have grace on me as I read through and mess it all up. I mean, right? But no, wow, what a thought. Yeah, that's not who I am. I've, I've relied on that identity, and God's saying, well, I might have a different calling for you. Your same identity. It doesn't matter what I call you. You've still, man, you got Christ living in you. You're a Christian, and it doesn't matter. This pulpit, the, the pulpit, the teaching, the way you serve, none of those things matter to God. You're still his child. That's the most important thing. You know, we sit there, and we were praying about and talking about, you know, seeking God and, and, and seeing how he wants to call and use you and how he's speaking to us as a fellowship and individually. And the greatest calling he has on all of our lives is, for him to live in us. That's the most important thing. All the rest of this can go. If, if, if you're not in the word and you're not studying, it doesn't matter. He doesn't need your service. He doesn't need your tithing. He doesn't need any of that. He wants you. He wants your time in the morning. First and foremost. Out of that, then service will come. It kind of comes naturally. But that's the most important thing. The greatest calling ever, married to have Christ living in her, we get to have the same calling. We are highly favored in that sense. And guess what? There is a cost. People are going to look at you funny. Right? Before, I was just a roofer going to a church. Now I'm a pastor with an agenda trying to get you to go to my church. That's another foolish thought I have, right? Well, I'm going to talk to these people, but they're thinking all he wants to do is get in our pocket like that. You know, all, all these thoughts I have that I'm thinking for them. You ever have an argument with somebody about yourself, but they're not involved in it? You know what I mean? Oh, Heidi laughs, but... I'll leave her alone. But no, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You're like putting thoughts, you're, you know, you're just, you get, you get in your head about the stupidest things, you know, what this person must be thinking because I'm talking to him now because I must, you know, you know, I'm not just, you know, Tony's got it easy. He just gets to show up and smile. And I just go, this church and God's awesome. He doesn't even think about those things. Me, I don't often, okay? I don't really have a lot of, um, like self-retrospect or self, uh, 
uh, see, I can't even think of a word how much I don't do it. You know, self-analysis, you know, people do that. They're done with the conversation and think, well, I was being a little this, or was that goofy or this or that? No, I don't do that. I let Heidi do it for me. I'm like, hey, honey, <laughs> you know, like, hey, kick me when they're not, when they're done listening, because I'm talking to them and they're passing out like they've been looking around for an hour, look at their cell phone. My wife's in the hospital having a kid. I was like, yeah, but one minute here, let me finish sharing this. You know, and she's kicking my leg, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me they were done? She goes, I was kicking you. Isn't your leg sore? No, but you know, I, I don't have a lot of those things. But man, it was interesting to realize, man, what, what has my identity been in? Well, yeah, I'm a roofer. Well, I'm a Christian roofer, or I'm... No, we're children of God first and foremost. What does that mean? He's dwelling in us. He's dwelling in us. And we are children of God. As Mary's going to find out, she didn't have probably a clue of what was coming. The joys, the amazingness to see the Son of God, to see her child, her Savior, and have that relationship, but at the same time, the sacrifices that were going to come. Many times as we sit here and we look at her going forward, who knows what's coming down the road in the future? How many of us would sign up or go, nah, I'm out of here now, you know? But at the same time, you all the blessings that come with it. What an amazing blessing to do and serve the Lord. And, and not forget who we are. Yours guys are child, children of the living God. We have Christ living in us, active. You know, compared to that man sitting in my van, drunk, totally lost. What a joy, what an awesome thing to know. Would you ever trade it for anything? Do you think Mary would have traded it? No, not by her accounts, not by the accounts of the end of her life. You know, everything she went through. Hard to see your Savior die on the cross. What about your son, too? You know, what an amazing thing to be called to. What an amazing, awesome, great calling we have to be called the children of God, to have that as God's heart for us primarily, mainly in our lives. Verse 39, it says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and, and greeted Elizabeth. Now, She's there. You just heard this amazing thing that's blowing your mind. What would be the first thing you'd do? Hey, Mom and Dad, I want to go see our cousins. Like, now. <laughs> With haste. And, and do you guys have anything? What do you know about the Messiah coming and prophecy and scripture regarding him? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to get really serious about studying about the Messiah coming now, too. I want to know. I don't want to talk. Well, cool, I can get to Zachariah. He's a priest. Right, at least he's a priest, and I'll get there, and she's pregnant. Maybe, you know, I want to know what's going on, right? And so she goes with haste. That's about 100 miles away. And she enters the house, and when she goes in, she greets Elizabeth. And verse 41, and when that happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe in her womb, in her womb or the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she spoke out with a loud voice. Hear that loud voice. She's a Pentecostal. And said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Man, no time at all, right? How loving is that of Christ? You're rushing off. You're going, how do you know you conceived? She ain't waiting 30 days or whatever. She's going. She's going to go find out right away, right? And so you're... I want to see if she's pregnant. I want to get there. I want to know what's going on. 
And right away, the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth and gives her her answer right away. Boom! Here's your answer. If you were doubting anything, if you were thinking, man, was that a real vision? Did I really see an angel? What happened? You talk about clarity. What a lovely thing God did there. And I love how he does that when he calls you to something. Sometimes somebody you would never expect boom, shares something and like totally confirms what God was calling. And you're like excited and they're like, I just shared this little thing. And you're like, thank you. And they're like, okay. No. But you know what I mean? It, it's amazing to see how that answer was totally just right there for her. And verse 43, it says, But why this is granted to me, or why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For indeed, as soon as your voice, or the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my room for joy. Yes, joy. Yes, joy. Five-month-old baby leaping for joy. I think we know where God stands on abortion. We have a child, Jeep, Five months, leaping for joy. You know, it's amazing. You, they, they, they say the babies can hear in, in 16 weeks. You know, I was talking with uh, John actually this morning. Ran into him at the grocery store. Kate is any moment. Any moment now, they're waiting. She thought it was going to be last night. Any moment, you know. But 16 weeks, a baby can hear you. You know, that's why I was sitting there on the womb going, I'm the boss. No. <laughs> Get it down before they even come out. No. But, um. What an amazing thing. The baby leaps for joy. Verse 5 says, Blessed is she who believed, and for there will be, or from there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. Man, this is going to happen. Full of the Holy Spirit. So we knew John was full from birth, right? Of the Holy Spirit. Now we have Elizabeth full of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of her womb. Man, you talk about a mind-blowing thing. The mother of my Lord. Jesus, Jesus was not, I mean, how, how do you, I even, I'm, I've been trying to wrap my mind around this all week. You have God who was there at creation, Jesus who was there, the word became life as we heard in John, becomes the light of the world, and then becomes a man. So from the moment of conception, you had the whole person of Jesus Christ, God, inside her womb. Like, Right? How do you conceive that? That's, got, that's just, like, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. And then it's like, I mean, at what point is he, what thoughts were he having? Were, was he having, did he have all this knowledge? Man, I mean, I was like, man, where's the more, more detail here, Lord? And God said, no, we're not giving you that. I just want your mind to go, that's it. And so, but she goes where? She goes to the house and does she run into family that's like hey what's going on no at that point you have this whole statement come out from Elizabeth right and can you imagine how excited they were oh yeah this is happening, this is happening. and there's Zacharias can't say a darn thing <laughs> they're all exciting talking he's like ah, I have some questions about this I mean I'm a priest who's supposed to have you stoned for having a child out of wedlock and here I can maybe maybe send him her home with a letter of recommendation in a sense of going hey don't mess with her he's a respected priest in the area especially compared to any priest hanging around Nazareth right but you know so they're there for three months these conversations going on and sitting there and we'll see later poor poor I, I don't know well it's, it's really funny looking ahead you you, you see they're making signs that the people in the area are making signs to Zachariah like he's deaf no he couldn't speak. 
didn't mean he was deaf. They're just, you're dumb now. Gonna, I can hear you just fine. I mean, so he's sitting there, you know, can't, can't get a word in or a letter in at this point, you know, trying to, and they're just, you know, being, being gals, you know. What an interesting thing, and, and to sit there and then be able to go, I'm pregnant, and you imagine all the thoughts going through Zacharias. Later we'll see him go from doubting to this prophesying, you know. What an amazing thing it's going to happen here. And Mary responds to this by worshiping our God. The next section here in verse 46 through the, through the end of where we're going to be this morning is Mary's worship. She, she magnifies God, and it's and you just see her heart in a sense. This next portion of scripture in 10 verses has over 23 verses quoted in it. Over 23 scriptures she's covered parts of as she says this. This is called the, the um, Mary's uh, magnifies the Lord or, or magnifica, I think, in the Latin or whatever. And, and so it's known and it says... She starts out in verse 46 and says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in my God or my Savior, God my Savior. So she magnifies the Lord. When we worship, this is an awesome, awesome thing with worship is we magnify God. How do you magnify God? Isn't he like omnipresent? Isn't he already like really big? You know, how do you magnify him more? Well, it's because our heart and our soul, our thinking, we can get so distracted by the world and stop believing that all things are possible through Christ. We can stop believing these things. And when we come and we worship and you set your heart on things and you set your mind and you start to remember how awesome, how amazing, how big our God is, it magnifies them in our hearts and our minds. It puts those other things aside. When you start to worry about stuff, I don't know about you guys, when I come in and worship and go, wow, God's so awesome, so big. It's just a stained glass ceiling or something like that, you know? And you sit there and you look at it, and that's what worship is, is magnifying the Lord. And she also uses two things. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Well, we know she was flesh, but we also see a spirit and a soul. Right? And the Bible says... We were created in the image of God, which is an inferior trinity. We had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Well, we were created body, soul, and spirit. Well, we ended up sending in the garden. The Bible said we were truly dead indeed, right? Well, what died? Our spirit. And now, because of our spirit, we ended up spiritually dead. This is kind of a little thing I've seen, right? We ended up spiritually dead. We cannot have that relationship with God. We cannot connect with him in the spirit. When we're born again and the spirit's alive in us, now we can connect with God again. And that's where we see soul and spirit here. What an awesome example of those things. And as you accept Christ, as she needed a Savior, we become spiritually alive and be able to be in communion and relationship and have God dwell in us again. In that sense, be born again, spiritually again. Verse 48, and says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and as whole, holy, holy is his name. So she's talking about herself. Man, this is amazing. This is what God's done to me. And then in verse 50, so she switches to us. And his, mercies, and, his, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud 
in the image of their, or in the imaginations of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and he exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Speaking of not physically rich and physically poor, but spiritually. The leadership of the nation looked spiritually rich. Where did Jesus go? Galilee. His ministry was where? Galilee. Right? And he went in, he got some good priests, you know, some really good priests, the ones that were really good, really had already a good following that, you know, he could take over their Facebook page. No, he went to stinky fishermen. I love the stinky fishermen. You know why I know they're stinky fishermen? Because fishermen stink. And they only had, how many think, sets of clothes do you think those fishermen had? No, they didn't have many friends. But they probably had one or two sets of clothes, right? You imagine, oh, he's a fisherman. You're going to get married. Ooh, we know what you're going to smell like. I mean, and that's who God uses. God goes out to these fishermen, to these people, and comes, and, and the hungry, the spiritually hungry, the ones that are suffering will He's feeding them. He's going to fill them with good things. What an amazing thing. And then he continues on in verse 54 with the nation of Israel. He says, He has helped his servant Israel. In the remembrance of his mercy, he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now, to his seed, this, this word seed is interesting because it's, it's the same translation when it goes back and forth with the seed in Genesis 3.15 where the Bible says the first kind of speaking of the Messiah says that the seed of the woman's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? The seed of the woman. And it's interesting because biologically and even speaking in these terms, women don't have seeds. But it's going to be the seed of a woman, not of a man that's going to take out it because of the way God was doing things. And so he looks back at his promises, how God has blessed her, her soul magnifies the Lord. Her spirit, she has a Savior. What an awesome thing personally to us that we can rejoice in the same way. Right? Who he lifts up. It doesn't matter your standing. It doesn't matter how great or how small you are. But God loves you. And God has a plan for you. And God is faithful. God is faithful to all the previous generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all these people looking forward to the Messiah. He hasn't forsaken them. His promises are real. And here they are, coming real, coming to fruition, coming true. That day of the Lord is coming. And for us, the same thing. The day of the Lord is coming. He is coming again in a miraculous way. For who? Us, his bride. We're called the bride of Christ. So we're not his mom, but we're his bride, and he's coming for us. Verse 56, it says, And Mary remained there about three months and then returned to her house. So she was there long enough, long enough to be there when John was born, maybe help out a little before she returned home. You know, it's amazing. I love that heart. Behold the servant of the Lord. Let it to me be to me according to your will. And that should be our prayer. God, let it to be to me according to your will. Whatever you have for my life, Let's just lay those things down, those worries and everything else, and it, however you want to use me. The title, the position, the, the whereabout, none of that matters as much as whatever your will is, God. I want to have you living in me and, and just having full reign in my heart. And so this morning we're going to take communion, if the worship team would come up. 
And um, it's interesting when you look at communion, and we talked about the wedding ceremony. And so the groom would come, and he would bring the price for his bride. And when Jesus on that last night said, hey, this is my body broken for you, this is the price he was paying for us. Right? So it's very symbolic of that wedding feast and us being called it. The price for us was the body of Christ, was the bread that was broken for us. And so as they do the worship songs here, they're going to pass out the elements, starting with the bread. Um, Go ahead. 